Welcome back, everybody, to, I guess this is season three of Radio Silence. We're back in business 2021. Thank you so much for joining. Kind of didn't think we'd get here, but we are here. Um, For those of you who may be new to the show, may have forgotten who we are, hello. My name is Ailish. Um, I'm a Master of Environment student. I'm joined by Kate and Kai. Kate, please introduce yourself so the lovely listeners know who they're listening to. Yeah, guess I should do that. I'll do that. Hi. Hi, I'm Kate. I am uh, starting my PhD this year. Oh, oh, shudders. Um, no, I am really excited. Um, in neuroscience, addiction neuroscience, getting some more rats drunk. It's a good time. Love my research. Uh, we're also joined by Kai. Hey, Kai, what's up? How you hey, going? Hey, I'm going pretty well. Um, I'm Kai. I'm also starting a PhD in whoop, physics. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And yeah, I work with lasers, which I think is pretty cool. You I guys are making me feel a bit left hot. out. <laughs> <laughs> You're making me feel left out with your PhDs, your big fancy PhDs. Yeah, Elish, catch up. Here plugging away at my master's. Ouch. It's- Rude, it's honestly. Right. Um, We've feeling... been there. You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, today's episode, we're going to be exploring the world of artificial intelligence. But mm. before we dive in, um, let's start with a quick little whip around of what's going on in the world of science, science news, current events. Kai, what have you found? What story do you have to share with us? Okay, well, I've got some news about. Dinosaurs. Yes. Gotta love some dinosaur news. Yes. Yep. And for a long time, there's been a bit of debate over what wiped out the dinosaurs. Yeah. Now, the asteroid impact theory is one that's that's been going around for a while, but there have been a few others that are like have been kind of strong as well. Mm. Uh, one of them is a, a, that there was a period of increased volcanic activity and, you know, all of the material that was spewing out of volcanoes went in the atmosphere and changed the climate of the earth but that's that's fairly similar like in the way it works to the asteroid impact theory but for a long time both of them were just hypotheses mm. and that is until now really oh really yes. we've got the like big reveal okay. yes okay. so the scientists now have enough evidence to confidently say that it was an asteroid impact that wiped oh. out the dinosaurs Nice. And the there way they did it was... The classic their, movie got it right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they found, and this is something that they knew for a while, that there was a high concentration of the metal iridium mm. found in the sedimentary layer that was at the end of the Cretaceous period, so the end of mm-hmm. the dinosaurs, which was about 66 million years ago. Now, this was strange because iridium is pretty rare in the Earth's crust. There's a fair bit of it in like the Earth's core, but that's mm-hmm. that's not what we're talking about here. But iridium is found in asteroids. And they, they were right. suspicious th- that there's a crater in the Gulf of Mexico called the Chicxulub Crater, which uh-huh. is about the right age for the, the asteroid impact that wiped out the dinosaurs. And it was an 11-kilometer asteroid. So What? Like, that's I know, like flipping. That's a that chunky is a rock. Very that is a chunky rock. rock. 
It is. <laughs> and and like that kind of helps you understand how like an asteroid impact could blast so much dirt and, and rocks and stuff into the air that it could spread around the whole world mm. and dramatically change the climate over a course of, a, you know, a couple of decades or so. Yeah. And that was enough to, to, to wipe out the dinosaurs. Yeah. But... The way that they really confirmed this was they took some core samples from this this crater. So they dug, like, basically drilled a a 900-meter-deep channel, like a tube into the the surface of this crater Mm -hmm. and took out the rock and were able to look at the different layers and date them and look at the concentration of iridium in the crater. And they found that, like, there was a very high concentration that matched up perfectly with the iridium that they found in other places around the world in terms of the date. So, right. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And there was another thing that also added to the evidence was they found in the areas around the crater, like in, in modern Mexico, is there was evidence of massive tsunamis in this area around the exact same time. So that yeah, further I feel like a crater would, like, uh, sorry, an asteroid would, would cause a tsunami or two, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's you know what I mean? fairly logical. It's a really, like, you think if you throw a rock in a pond, this is a really big rock. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Understatement yeah. of the century. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all of this evidence put together is really conclusive and they can mm. say beyond reasonable doubt that like this is not just a coincidence it the only way this could have all happened is it was an asteroid that wiped yeah. out the dinosaurs Ooh. so there you go scary stuff though like how what if what if another one of those hits uh let's well, let's oh no <laughs> let's not think down that pathway okay i regret saying that <laughs> but no that is really cool that is really cool that we've like i feel like we've finally cracked this you know yeah, Several I think it's cool. Like, mystery. you know, it's it's pretty rare for scientists to say, "Yep, we know this hundred you know, percent." Like, beyond, you know, it's beyond reasonable, reasonable doubt. It's yeah. like confirmed asteroid. Yeah, so I think that is very cool. Incredibly, Kate, what have you got? So, not quite as oh, not, no, it's not quite as cool, but still pretty cool. <laughs> still pretty cool. Um, there's there was a really cool study that came out this week out of out of Australia, UNSW in uh, University of New South Wales in Australia, how barnacles can help find missing people lost at sea. So what these scientists did, they were marine scientists that have used a particular type of barnacle to develop a couple of equations that can help estimate when and where a local boat may have sunk, right? So what they've done is a, a common barnacle can be used to help trace missing people lost at sea, according to the research that these guys have put out because what they can do is that they can, they, they developed this equation based on how much a particular type of barnacle called, I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. I can't do it, but I'm going to (laughs) try the lepus ansifera. We'll just call it the lepus or the lepus for short. Um, Essentially (laughs) they've developed an equation that can estimate the minimum time that an object has spent drifting, like floating in the sea based on, first of all, the number of these lepus attached and also how much they've grown. So essentially this, this study, which was published in the journal Marine Biology, it looked at the ecology of these lepus, which are a type of goose barnacle, apparently. Um, but <laughs> goose, the cool thing about goose barnacles as opposed to other types of barnacles is that they only attach 
to floating objects like boats or debris of like a sunken boat. Okay. It has to be floating for these barnacles to attach, which is why they were so particularly not interesting. like rocks and stuff. No, exactly. They won't attach to rocks in the um, seafloor or anything. They also looked at a bunch of other crustaceans and stuff in this study, but it was these particular goose barnacles or lepus that attached to the, the floating things, the boats that were really um, telling and really like useful in helping them create equations and looking at like communities of these and how they evolved over time. So Mm. I've got a quote from one of the like studies, one of the authors of the study. And he goes, let's say that there's a fisherman out on his boat and he goes missing. And we don't know where or when his boat sank. Exactly. Two weeks later, debris from this boat washes up ashore. We can measure and count Mm. the lepus and, other crustaceans if they're present to give a minimum estimate for how long that debris was drifting. And this would give a smaller and more accurate time window for when he may have sunk, therefore narrowing down the options for where he may have sunk. So essentially by figuring out how long this boat's been drifting, we can then back calculate and go, okay, if it was drifting this far, then we can kind of start to triangulate possible places that it could have gone from and then try retrieve the body or, or hopefully maybe find an alive uh, missing person. But beyond yeah. that, even cooler, they took it one step further and they, so they developed that one equation to work with those, but then they developed another equation using oxygen isotope analysis of the lepus shells, which they can use to estimate the sea surface temperature history and therefore plot possible drift paths of a missing boat. So based on like, yeah, the sea surface temperature and the known measurements of, you know, various places throughout the ocean measuring the sea temperature, they were able to use these isotopic analyses to like of the shells to figure out where possibly and what type of, you know, drift that this boat has taken based on that and so they hope that they can use this data to really start finding some some missing bodies i'm not sure how much of a problem missing bodies from drifting boats are that's not my area of expertise but (laughs) it certainly does sound that like you know this is a really exciting thing and there was mention of you know there was the the airplane um airlines airplane that went missing yeah um, apparently the debris that had washed up or that they have found of that, the lepus, these, um, uh, barnacles that they found on them were far too young to have gotten attached to them right at the site of the crash. Mm. Um, okay. because we know approximately where in the world, like it could have crashed. Right. And yeah. so based on the age of them, so that, that brings up the whole like, okay, well, obviously these can attach later down the line and therefore you're not going to get a full picture, sure, yeah. but it's still something that has not been explored before this point And something that, you know, is really exciting that we can start to analyze, you know, we mm. can use our really cool technology to not only figure out how long this thing's been floating, but like through what ocean temperatures yeah, and therefore cool. what like drift pattern you know i think it's wildly cool like my brain was just like whoa yeah pretty barnacle if you ask me (laughs) that was yep well done (laughs) i've been waiting to say that one um well before we uh we head into 
the the science of artificial intelligence. We're going to give you the first song of 2021 radio silence, just jumping on that AI theme. This is We Appreciate Power by Grimes. All right, groovy grasshoppers, that was We Appreciate Power by Grimes. I'm Ailish, joined with Kai and Kate here for first episode of the year of Radio Silence, bringing science into focus for the hour. I did want to mention, of course, um, we have a Twitter. Please check us out. Give us a follow. It is at Radio Silence. And I'm even going to spell it because it's a it's a pun and sometimes puns can be misinterpreted. So it's Radio S-C-I-L-E-N-S, Radio Silence. And guess what? We're also on SoundCloud. So if this is a bit of an inconvenient time for you to listen, the old 4 p.m. on a Friday, um, yeah, check us out on, on SoundCloud. We are we are there always. Well, actually, no. The episodes are there for a limited time, so get on it. Um, cool. Kai, <laughs> what have you got for us today? All right. So we're talking about artificial intelligence. I wanted to start off by asking you guys, what comes to mind when you, th- you think of artificial intelligence? Like, what's the first thing you think of? Ailish, maybe you go first. Okay. I mean, I was just talking about how I really like Grimes. Um, <laughs> she's, just made, <laughs> she's just made this artificial, intelli- artificial intelligence. I think it's like a, a music for babies or just like calm, meditative music. I have listened to it. Sometimes I think of Grimes. But um, usually, oh, I think of the movie Ex Machina, Ex Machina. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. That movie. And there's, Machina, they do yeah. the, is it the Turing test? What's it called? That test. Turing test. Turing test. Yeah. The Turing test to test if like something is, I, I should stop talking, but that's what I think <laughs> of to answer your question, Kai. Okay. okay. Robots, um, essentially. Robots. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, ask me now versus ask me before I did my research <laughs> for today's show. But, like, now, based on having already done my research All right, for maybe, today's maybe show... Maybe don't spoil your segment then. Uh, I think of what I'm about to talk about, hang around till all after right, the next right. song. But before that, I probably would have said something like Siri or Alexa or, you know, that kind of yeah, smart yeah. home, smart... You know that—that's what I think of. Yeah, that episode and are- of The Simpsons where the house eats them. <laughs> well, one of my friends literally has their house set up with like even their blinds. They they go, "Hey Alexa, close the blinds," and the blinds close. Like, "Hey Alexa, mm. turn it on the television." Like, it's all—it's everything is Alexa powered, and it makes me uncomfortable, but it's also mm-hmm. really cool. And that's what I think of, or yeah, would yeah, have yeah. prior to this. Yes. So those those are like pretty good, but. There is actually so much more and it wasn't until I started researching this that I realized how many different things are actually powered by AI. Mm. And the ones you've just mentioned, like, you know, uh, voice assistant type things that have built-in speech recognition and not only that they, like, recognize the words, but they actually understand the words and mm. that's called natural language processing. And that's Yeah, I'll that's hit fascinating. on that in a second. Yeah, awesome. Um, also things like image recognition, so, like, computers that can actually identify objects in images, like they look at a picture of a cat and go, yes, that's a cat, which, mm. you know, is pretty fascinating. Um, and then things, like, that you don't really think about as much, like virus detection on your computer, a lot of that nowadays is powered oh. by AI and yeah, can, like, true, hey. de- detect 
viruses, like previously it could only detect known viruses, but now they can detect viruses that are brand new and stop them before they cause all sorts of damage. And yeah, like Ailish said, robots, things like (laughs) self-driving cars and even like autopilot in planes. I can't believe I didn't say (laughs) self-driving cars. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's so many different things that are powered by artificial intelligence, but I mean, it's kind of all like a mystery how it works. You know, it's kind of like, whoa, this is crazy stuff, man. But it's actually really fascinating how, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. And a lot of these artificial intelligence applications are powered by what are called artificial neural networks. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about these is what they do is they loosely sort of mimic the way that brains work. You know, yes, it's so cool. <laughs> anyway. And so in a, in a brain, it's made up of also like neurons with brain cells that are all connected together and they all process little bits of information and the way that they're all connected determines like how the brain thinks. And these artificial neural networks basically do the same thing, but with a computer. So there's, there's various layers of these artificial neurons. So first of all, you've got the input neurons that you know, take the input. Let's say you're trying to process a picture of a cat and say, hey, that's a cat. You know, it it takes in that picture as as data, which is fairly straightforward when you're, you know, running something into a computer. Mm-hmm. But then it's the processing neurons that these are all connected to is where the the magic happens. Now, each of the processing neurons has has a different job and they can be like fairly mundane jobs. Like maybe one of them, looks at how much like different colors are in the image and goes oh okay so maybe there's like a lot of brown in that image and you know there's other ones that can look at different patterns and they go okay that's kind of like a blobby shape and you know might be even more in um sort of in depth like okay that's kind of like a furry pattern and all these neurons like none of them on their own are able to tell you it's a cat but Mm -hmm. putting them all together you know gets different elements of that image so all of these different processing neurons have a different job and the thing that then determines the output is basically if you add up the results of all the processing neurons it will give you an output but the thing is you you don't really know how much like how important each of those you know processes are to the final output like from the beginning so you know Sure, it might be brown, but like not all cats are brown. There's other things that are brown. Like how much does brownness mm. determine it's a cat? And yeah, right. the only way for the artificial intelligence to actually determine these things is to learn. And the way it learns is basically the same way real brains learn is through practice and training. Mm. And so what you need to do to train your artificial intelligence is to give it a training data set. So basically a whole bunch of pictures of cats and not cats and you put them in and if whatever processing it does, if it gets like if it gets the answer right, it goes, "Oh, okay, that's that's a cat. I was able to determine that. If it's wrong, you go, "No, you've got to change it up a little bit." And so if you do this with, you know, hundreds and thousands of pictures of different cats and things that aren't cats, eventually the artificial intelligence is able to determine what is a cat. Mm. And I think that that's really cool, the way that, you know, you have you have to train 
yeah. these computers just as much as like a human baby doesn't know what a cat is <laughs> as soon as it's mm. born and has to learn. So, yeah, that's that's really really cool. So but, the the little AI machines go to go to school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before they can become grown <laughs> before up. Before they AI. can be grown ups. <laughs> yeah, and some of the different ways that the AIs actually learn is is really cool. Now, what the way I described before, where you give it a a bunch of pictures and you know the outcome, like, and you tell it the answers. That's called supervised learning because the human is there saying, yes, this is a cat. You got the answer right. Good job. Gives it a pat on the head. Um, But (laughs) there's another type of learning called unsupervised. And it actually turns out this is much, much faster. Is that like AI teaching other AIs? Exactly. And, you know, it's it's really cool because um, I think one, one example of... AI that's kind of been in the news a bit recently. Um, it's known as deep learning, and that's where you use one AI to, to train another AI. And it's most well known for things like deep fakes, which are like fake pictures or videos of you know people maybe mm. saying or doing things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. Like that and one of Obama that went pretty viral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the way that these actually work is that you have one AI that generates the fake in the first place. It takes in lots of different pictures or videos of the person that you're trying to fake and, you know, put, tries to put them together saying or doing, you know, the target. And then you have another AI that's trained to recognize what a human looks like. And the first one, you know, tries to make the human. And then the second one goes, eh, that doesn't really look like a human. Try harder. And it goes, all right, and tries again. And then this process like goes back and forth really fast. And basically, the, the first AI is trying to convince the second AI that what they've made looks like a person. And eventually, the output is actually pretty close to, to what we think humans are. And hmm. yeah, so I think it's really, it's really, really cool the way that this works. Oh, and it's especially mind-blowingly cool. Oh, yeah. Like... And I think it's it's really cool that they're, you know, basically mimicking the structure of, of human brains. Not exactly, but like in principle. But the concept, and like the concept of how our brains are so complex and take large amounts of data and process them and then spit out large amounts of other data. Like, you know, the fact that that happens so naturally within our brain is mind-blowing, first of all. But then the fact that we're learning yeah. from that and adapting something that mirrors that is just like... Oh, it's so cool. Like, I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think also it's, it's pretty interesting that this concept has been around for quite a while. Like it was mm. sort of theorized in like the, the 50s and 60s. And, you know, they, they tried it back then, but the computers just weren't good enough. And yeah. it's not until nowadays that computers are actually starting to get powerful, powerful enough, enough that they can actually mm. do this and, and make and something make as complex which also just highlights like how much computing power does a human brain have, right? That we can just do these super complex things that require mm. supercomputers to mimic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that we all know what a cat looks like. Yeah. Like, it takes a lot of effort to teach a computer that. It's Exactly. It's a lot less effort to teach a child. <laughs> and yet it's the same sort of basic fundamental units taking input 
in putting output out like it's you know and and that feedback as well like you know yeah yeah is the output it, correct and yeah and you, learn you adapt your, your, improve you know yeah so yeah. there's yeah so many cool things that artificial mm. intelligence is capable of i know kate's going to talk about another one in in just a sec but ailish we got a song we do. I just hope that those AI teachers are getting paid enough because they're, they're doing some really hard work, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they're really slogging it out. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, our next song is More Like You by Ola Gartland. We'll catch you after the break. That was More Like You by Ola Gartland. You are listening to Radio Silence our episode on artificial intelligence. I'm Ailish. We're joined by Kai and Kate. And Kate, what have you got mm. for us today? So I want to talk about a really cool way that artificial intelligence is being utilized to, you know, revolutionize the science game. And it's in the in the area of drug discovery. So what I mean by drug discovery is finding new novel medications to treat mm any host of diseases really um but finding new compounds to treat illnesses to then you know hopefully broaden the arsenal of of things that we have to throw at all the various diseases Mm. and illnesses that we have in the world and like technology is getting really good but the help of artificial intelligence and ai in this process of developing new drugs has has literally changed the game. It has revolutionized the game. It has made it so much faster, so much more efficient, so much more effective, and like at so many different layers within the system. And the coolest part is that this all culminates in the creation of something that I'll get to more towards the end, but I want to flag with you that it exists. A robot scientist, an AI-based oh. autonomous robot scientist that can Essentially, this scientist, they can execute cycles of hypothesis formations. It can come up with a hypothesis. It can select efficient experiments to discriminate between these hypotheses. It can execute these experiments using like autonomous, like robot arms, laboratory equipment to pipette things and test in cells and whatever. So it can execute the experiments and then it can analyze the results of those experiments to then refine the experiments and create new hypotheses. All of this without human interaction or human Holy intervention. Moly. Is that Does not it wild? Wear, like a cute little lab coat? Does it have? No, it doesn't look <laughs> like a human. On. It looks like Dang a. It. It's like a. No, room. no, it's I was like imagining mini... like a little but... wally. Well, you know, okay, you know what's cute, though? The first one that they made, so there's two of them that are at the University of Cambridge at the moment, and the first one they made, they called Adam, and then the second one they made, they called Eve, and they're working on Project Genesis, and I don't know whether I love or hate this, but uh, I was like, are the scientists just trying to play God here? They're like, we've created our first robot scientist, we're going to call him Adam, and then we've created our second robot scientist, we're going to call her Eve. Um, it's quite, it's, mm. it's funny, but, um, they've done <laughs> some cool scary. stuff. They've done some cool, 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 cool stuff, but I'll get there in a second. First, I want to like backpedal, backpedal, backpedal into just generally drug discovery and how AI can help because essentially the way that we used to design drugs or find drugs or find new drugs, it like throwing spaghetti at a wall to see what sticks. Like we just threw <laughs> compounds at people 
and sore if they didn't get stick like sick right <laughs> like we we you know and you know traditional drugs things like Aspirin was based on a compound found in a lot of plants. Like we kind of had, you know, um, this sort of thing or like accidental discoveries, cough, cough, penicillin, um, Mm. you know, stuff like that. It's only really recently that we've been able to start creating drugs from scratch and designing like fully synthetic drugs. So the first fully synthetic synthetic drug that was ever created was in 1869 um and that was a um sedative drug but even then that was a lot of trial and error in terms of synthesizing this thing would it do what we think it's going to do blah 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 it's still kind of throwing chemicals to people to see if they Mm. stopped being sick right didn't die from the chemicals themselves exactly but since the like later half of the 20th century, we've seen the rise of something called rational drug design, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's where <laughs> we design a drug rationally based on, you know, what it's going to do, but not only what it's going to do, we need to like take a step back first, right? And we need to find a target, right? Before we can like even figure out how this drug's going to work, is it going to f- affect the disease in the way that we want. We need to like go, okay, somewhere, some one particular stepping stone on this very, very complex signaling cascade that ultimately leads to whatever pathology we want to treat. Something along there. Is it a gene? Is it an enzyme? Is it a receptor? Is it a whatever? Something along there, uh, you know, mutated gene. Something's not working. We need to pick which is going to be our target to treat like, you know, cancer, for example. And so this, this is obviously, there are so many, so many, like thousands upon thousands of options. And like, for example, there was an AI system that was able to take, it looked at cancer. So, so there was a bunch of researchers. They took a bunch of cancer cells and a bunch of healthy cells from like thousands of, um, volunteers, participants in this study. And they Mm. tracked the growth of these cells over time in a dish. Which that gave trillions of data points as to how a cancerous cell develops differently to a human cell. Like, it it would not be possible for the brain power of, like, human scientists, right, to even remotely keep track of what, you know, what's going to be the best part of that thing to target if we want to cure this illness, right? If we want to cure cancer, like where do we start with a trillion data points? And so that's where they've used AI to come in and not only isolate which points are potentially going to be useful, it can even like, so it gives you the big picture and then it zooms in on the very specific part of the big picture that's going to be most useful to you. And it's going to be like this, this is your most logical target. And it's, it's, it can you can feed them like scientific articles. They can read human language and be like, "Oh, oh this is a gene of interest. Is it used like it doesn't understand?" So, like a really good example, right, is of how they do this is like I said briefly when Kai mentioned natural language processing. Yep. Essentially, it's like exactly the same as the AI in your phone. When I say you know Siri, when you say to your phone, "Hey Siri, what is the best?" you know, science radio show. That would be radio silence on radio fodder, obviously, right? Um, so Siri Siri doesn't really understand what a science radio show is, right? 
But by analyzing the relationships between the words and like the context, Siri can essentially tell that you probably want to find out the highest ranked listing in Siri's database of science radio shows, which of course would be Radio Silence on Radio Fodder, bringing science into focus for an hour, 4 p.m. Fridays. Um, and this is this is essentially what artificial intelligence is it doesn't know like it doesn't understand what it's looking for but it can still use the context and the relationship between Mm, words to spit out an output that matches what we want and so it does the same thing with drug discovery so even though like ai doesn't understand what a gene is if you sort of instruct it to sort through all of the literature on a particular disease it can identify the genes that stand out and the language used around those genes so like do the authors talk about this gene in like a causative way like is this responsible for causing said disease and you know and so through this ai can sort through all of that and it can pull out drug targets and this this has been done several times in several different labs for several different diseases and it's incredibly cool like it doesn't require any pre-formatting like you can literally just feed this stuff written by humans like research papers or medical case reports and it can like sort through this and give us meaningful answers and pull out meaningful things and it's so much faster at it than humans and it doesn't need to sleep and it doesn't need to eat and it doesn't taking our jobs yeah that's the thing you say that's taking our jobs but like that's just finding the drug target then it needs to like tell us what chemicals we need to synthesize together to make the compound that's actually going to interact with the target and that's a whole nother AI system and it's like and then once you have all of that then you eventually have the drug but then there's different factors you've got to take into account you've got to take into the the binding kinetics into effect like how well does this compound actually bind with the receptor it's got to filter through the Mm. trillions of data points to give you that and it can test it along the way these robot scientists that i brought up before adam and eve um (laughs) they essentially do this they go through all the papers they do all of the processing and then they test it in the cultured cells and give you your answer about what's going to be the most like useful logical thing i suddenly feel very inadequate but (laughs) they can only do as much as they're programmed to do. So they, while they can get through larger amounts of data, essentially they do the grunt work. They do the the stuff that's going to be harder to, you know, it's it's just the stuff that... Sure. It, the stuff yeah, the they stuff make they PhD, make PhD students, students do. do. Um, but the argument is that it takes <laughs> out, you know, the person hours, it brings the time down, it brings the cost down, and then the human scientists are left to do all the complex thinking about the complex ideas. Um, But that's not to say that they're not incredibly useful. Like, okay, I just really want to quickly talk about Adam and Eve. Adam, we don't care about him so much. He wasn't (laughs) that useful. But Eve, Eve has done some cool stuff. So, like I said, Eve is an AI-equipped robot scientist at the University of Cambridge who has already identified a new potential treatment for malaria. 
Yes, Eve. We'd love yes, to see Eve. it. So yes, the way Eve. Eve did this, Eve first identified a list of compounds that may interact, um, sorry, that may counteract malaria. And then she was able to screen these against yeast cells in culture to see which of the chemicals worked best. And of course, she's got sensors and cameras to pick her up things so she can monitor the cells with visual images and then autonomously decide how to you know Mm. keep them alive and how to extract results from them um and then yeah the research team was able to extract the final results of what eve did after like optimizing and optimizing and carrying out and interpreting and analyzing and whatever and then the research team was able to report that eve had identified an antimicrobial compound called triclosan uh, which is something that's found in toothpaste among other things um, as a candidate to help contact uh, to help combat sorry treatment resistant strains of malaria so go eve go eve are these researchers just like kicking back in their office all day having cocktail parties like watching movies while eve is just out there doing all the research i mean honestly like fair enough i'm sure eve took a lot of money and a lot of brain power to create and the algorithms and the coding and the AI to put all of this in place required an awful lot of work. So they've earned that kicking back. But I highly doubt, like, come on, we, we know academics. The type of the personality type that gets drawn to this career is not about to kick back. They're going to be like, cool, so Eve's working on that project. Now I have the time for this, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, I just, I think it's so cool. And the, the fact that it has the ability to fast track so much in drug discovery but also cut down costs like i i don't know i think it's incredibly incredibly Mm. exciting stuff and just like you know yeah okay the robots are about to steal our jobs as scientists whatever but like i don't know it's just it's it's game changing and it's gonna fast track the new medications that we pump out because like at the moment i think it's like i don't have the notes this is this is off my head so you'll have to double fact check this but it's it's some ridiculously small percentage of drugs that actually make it into clinical trials in the first place but then getting through clinical trials and the several stages of clinical trials the number of novel drugs each year Mm. that actually make it onto market is so small so small and so the extra any extra help that we can get at that True. preclinical end to you know the more things that we can pump to those clinical trials the more that'll eventually make it out of clinical trials and actually be able to start helping people yeah it's it's an extremely time mm. intensive process so it makes sense that they've got adam and eve working Mm, on mm. and like exactly those are the two that are kind of up and running and functional at the moment but there are like hundreds of companies and hundreds of um different universities using ai at different parts of this process whether it's the target or the synthesis or the whatever it rather than putting it together into one fully functional autonomous robot scientist but yeah all over the world ai is changing the drug discovery game and it's super exciting Mm. super exciting um well i've certainly learned a lot um i'm like (laughs) <laughs> don't know whether to be a little bit scared, no, but also I, I, I think we're a long way away from <laughs> it's, it's just scary the, it's AI the... <laughs> that's going to take over the world. To you know, 
It's the it's the AI teaching mm. AI teaching AI. I mean, you know, what if they just wanted to slip in their own little agenda there? I don't know. But um, for now, it seems mm. like it's saving mm. lives rather than the opposite. Um, I'm going to bring us out with bad decisions by the strokes. But before that, just want to remind you again, yes. check us out on Twitter at Radio Silence. Check out our SoundCloud Radio Silence. Tune in next week, 4 p.m. Friday. We have been Ailish Kai and Kate bringing science into focus. I don't know why this sounds so um, <laughs> like it's the end of the first more episode. Than just a, one episode, but. It's the first episode, you know, it feels right. Um, Yeah, thanks for listening. 